Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. I haven't eaten it all today and I'm eating a Twix now. We've had a complaint. Oh no! Just as you've got a gob full of chocolate. Wait, I've come back from a holiday. Mm. That's the first thing you're going to say to me. Yep. But I've got, it's all right, I've got a plan on how we can address it. Is it it about me? Well, it's about both of us. It's from Terry. Terry. I've got a feeling Terry sent more than one message. He was quite emphatic about it. What are you picking on his name for? Oh, my God. Terry's entitled. Does Terry have a surname? He does. Why? Tell me the surname. No. No. We might not have to. We seriously may not record this. What's her surname? O'Grady. No. Continue. Well, anyone who goes on our Facebook page would have seen that. Mm. Uh, Terry's comment is, fair enough, and we welcome your comments, good or bad. We're big girls. We can take it. Mm -hmm. It says, guys, seriously, stop interrupting each other. Oh. The stories are coming secondary to all the interruptions. Oh. Seriously thinking of giving up on this podcast, which we oh. don't want you to do, Terry, but here's my plan. All right. So. What? What's that? So this is, well, it's like. That's when not a sound effect. That's an actual. It's like when you're at the counter and you want bellhop, someone, excuse me. I hate that. I got this in New York years ago. Look how dirty it is. Why did you get that in New York? You could have got that from Kmart. I know. It's the, the Why did you the buy that in New York? I don't know why I did because I thought it was funny. So what happens now is when I cook dinner and my family are all at all ends of the house and I'll go ding, ding, and they come running like wildebeest doo, 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 and they grab their plates and then everyone rushes off to wherever they're going to go and sit and eat and we don't sit at the table. So I think, can you reach that? So yep. let's try, if you want to speak or if I want to speak while you have the floor. Okay. Otherwise, we're going to have to try like one of those things where they sit in a circle and they pass the talking stick to each other. But I think this will be more fun. Okay. All right, let's try that. Can I go first? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I've come back from holiday. This is not my story just yet. That's not about dead bodies. Why are we hearing about your holiday? Can I speak? Sorry. What? How is the bell working? I'm not sure. Okay, so let's use it. If, if I'm talking, oh, yep. I'm interrupting you now. If I'm talking and you want to say something, you can press the bell, but I may not acknowledge it straight away. Okay, But yes. I'll know that there's something you want to say. All right, so just, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's it's the equivalent of, this is the podcast equivalent of putting your hand up in class. Mm. And there's, did you used to go, oh, oh. Yeah, thrust your hand into the Yeah, air. I want to answer yeah. this question. All right, mm. okay, go ahead. What are we going to call the bell? The Terry something. Why does it need a name? The Terry Bell. Yep. The Terry Tinger. Terry's probably out of here. He's so <laughs> Terry hasn't even listened and everyone has to put up with his shit. <laughs> okay, got back from holiday. Just one quick holiday story because I find mm. that weird shit always happens on my holidays. So I'm just going to share a little bit of a lewd story. Okay, went to Hawaii, was in Honolulu um, with Nico and another couple and it was daytime and we're walking down Waikiki Beach and Nico was walking in front of me and then I saw him stop really abruptly and I thought, hmm, what's he looking at? So I marched up, Chanel, Vella, I'm here (laughs) to see what's going on and uh, 
I made this noise when I looked at what he looked at. <gasps> Not much shocks you. What? what? And that noise startled the person that we were now both looking at who was madly... Yes? Well, what, I, what I'm confused is I don't know what's natural conversation, banter, and what's an interruption. I'm confused about because I want to make noises like... <laughs> I want to go, oh, oh, what did you see? No, I think you can do that. You just can't interrupt my story with another story. Oh, okay. Like the sit, like the John Farnham comic conversations. Correct. Singing. Okay, yeah. go on. Yeah, so okay. what did you see? <gasps> and we looked and there was an old man madly. Don't. Tossing off his willy. Get out. I'm reading the book Scrublands. Is this? I don't know if this is a, I'm doing that anyway, just in case it no, is. No, so you can't do that. You have to press it and then I will tell you when you can talk. Okay. And he was two hand, it was a two hand job, literally a two hand job. And On he the beach? Was, yep. What? And he was, the only way I can describe it yes. is it was a furious action. <laughs> And the poor bloke was going for it, right, while staring at scantily clad women in bikinis. Oh, dear. Women are allowed to wear small bikinis on the beach. I'm not victim blaming. Of course they are. But they were very teeny tiny bikinis. Yeah. And they were not aware of what he was doing and he was going for his life. Yes, he was. And then I did the... (gasps) And then he he looked up. How close were you to him? I was pretty close. As if I reached like, out, I could touch him. Oh, my, oh, don't get covered in it. And then he goes, oh, very, it's very hot. I better, I better get going. Very hot. And he pulled out his walking stick and he hobbled away. And I was Hang standing on, did there. Did he? No, I was standing there and I thought, I should have hit him with my bag. I should have yelled at that man. I should have done something and I didn't do And then I was standing there with my hands on my hips going, I, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go get that old dirty bugger. And Nicholas was going, no, you're not, Chanel. Stop it. And I said, well, we need to get the police. That's disgusting. There are children around here. Yeah. And I was like throwing my hands about and bah, I was being all crazy. And then by the time I decided that I should have done something and I should do something, he was bloody well gone. So all I did was tell the scantily clad women that what had happened. I said, I don't know if you know, but there was a man touching his old fella right behind you. Hang on, if he had a big stiffy, what, did he just stop and did he walk off with a, you know, like a He had both hands down pants. Oh, I see. So pants were done up. Cursed is mortified. So he had big pants on and he had both hands down the pants. And Nico said he originally stopped because he thought the man was having a fit. And he should know because he's a boy. I had that once when I was sunbaking on Mount Martha Beach and up the cliff was the guy and he was wearing overalls with nothing underneath and the hands were inside the overalls. See? But I was sort of trapped, yeah. Happens. Definitely. I still had a one of those waiting. There was one waiting from before. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Well, I'm the one interrupting, so I apologise. Well, I'm just. This is really difficult to manoeuvre. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the book I'm reading, Scrublands, which is a really good book written by a Sydney journo, I think. Mm. But in that, the guy the, who's a journo and he's sent to this town to look into this shooting that happened, he turns up at the property of this old guy on a farm mm. who, and he walks in on the old guy and the old guy's up to it. He's, he's halfway. I felt bad for the old guy afterwards because <laughs> then I started thinking, 
maybe that's what he needs to do. And then I thought, oh, Chanel, don't be stupid. There's kids everywhere. Mm. Like, that's gross. It's gross behaviour. Probably illegal as well, I would yeah. say. That's called indecency, isn't it? Um, are you going first or am I going first? Do you want me to, to sort of break the... Sure. Okay. Go for it. Gosh, we have a lot of penises on this show. Well, I actually thought about it after you emailed me while I was away and said lots of people had emailed they you had. about the floating penis thing. And then I thought, I've got a dick story. <laughs> and now people will email us about surprise yes, tosses. Uh, I need to, before I do my story, credit the – gosh, it looks like a lot of pages. Maybe they're not all – no, they're not all relevant. Um, I'm going to credit the Detroit Free Press – because it actually did a lot of work on this story. It used the Michigan Freedom of Information Act. It got hundreds of pages of records that have been compiled and its reporters did quite a lot of hard work and I'm just like riding on their surfboard, on their wave. Um, my story tonight is about the Cantrell Funeral Home which opened in Detroit in the 1950s. Detroit was a magnificent city at one point with had because all the car manufacturing was happening there. Um, the motto of the business, yes, Chanel? It's not great now because there's lots of crime mm. there, right? Mm. Yeah, mm. they're trying to renew bits of it and a lot of the Motor lovely... City? Used to be the Motor City? That's it, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Carry uh, the, on. The motto of the Cantrell Funeral Home was, back in the 1950s, where beauty lives which is a bit odd for a funeral what? home, but it should be where beauty she dies. dies. Mm. An embalmer who worked there said, uh, every, it sounds like Obama, doesn't it? An embalmer who worked there said everything was pristine. Cantrell Senior, who ran the Cantrell Funeral Home, would inspect each body to make sure it was correct for the families and it grew into one of Detroit's largest black-owned funeral homes. And Cantrell himself was described as honest, ethical and respected and business was going very well but Cantrell's marriage failed. In 1987 his wife of 40 years Aline filed for divorce. Their two adult children so Raymond II and Crystal they were going to inherit the funeral home but when their parents divorced Aline the mother moved to another state and Raymond stayed and ran the funeral home on his own. So it was another 11 years down the track. 1998, he married a much younger woman. She was nearly 40 years younger than him. Uh, he already had two daughters with her. And this one, new wife was called Annetta. She'd been working for the Post. Yes, Chanel? There's so many things I want to say, but I'm like trying to work out if I they're worth go... pressing the bell or not. I don't know, but it's making me hungry because I think dinner's ready. What about we take it away? Because it's not. Like I was just stuck on the inherit a funeral home and yes. I was thinking about how that's quite a catch-22, isn't it? Well, it's quite a good point. You've honed in on a good point because you may not want to inherit a funeral home. That is relevant, Chanel. But I will... you can only inherit yes. the funeral home when your parents are dead and your parents do death every day and then you've got to wait for them to die and then you get it. Let's wait and see what happens oh, when somebody does inherit it. Okay. Uh, so Ray Senior has married much younger wife, Anita, who'd been working for the Postal Service. She married Ray Cantrell, Cantrell Funeral Home, and she gave up the postal thing and started working in the funeral home with him. Okay. Now the son, Raymond Cantrell II... He also worked in the funeral home, but then some problems started because Ray Senior had a stroke and had to leave his son in charge of the business. Mm. And when he checked on how things were going, he found some money missing. And 
Ray Jr. had brought his girlfriend a car and Ray Jr. had also defaulted on a loan for his, he had a a 1988 Jaguar XJ6, don't know what that is, sounds good, Uh, and police came to see some of the funeral home vehicles because they thought that the hearses belonged to Ray Jr. who was racking up all these problems. He had quite a few money problems, in fact, Ray Jr. In 2002, he was caught looting the estates of dead clients and a lawyer accused him of preying on poor people who couldn't afford funerals. Um, And he went to court over those cases and the judge said that Ray Jr. had persuaded families to appoint him as personal representative to the estates of their dead relatives. So the judge kicked him off 25 cases. Uh, Ray Jr., he admitted taking the money and he had a bit of form in this area. A few months earlier, a judge had fined him $6,000 and suspended his mortuary science license until he repaid the clients. It was a total of $41,000 and a bit. The problems, though, were worse than just taking money from people. In 1987, a family sued Cantrell Funeral Home for improperly embalming a man's body for viewing, and their lawsuit said... A large bubbling mass of maggots crawled from the nose and mouth of the dead person, causing severe shock and emotional distress. Yes, Chanel? I'd say that wasn't a job well done. No. And I was. Never mind. It gets worse. I thought. Yes? I thought we were going down a necrophilia path again and I got worried. I don't want to go back down. Yeah, it's, we're not. Oh, but unless a really good one comes up, but, but we're not right now. Not right now. Oh, okay, no necrophilia in this okay. one. No, no, it's more neglect. Oh, in 1996, the Cantrell Funeral Home was accused of leaving a dead woman, and I'll quote here, looking like a monster, with liquid seeping from her mouth and eyes, and soaking her gown, and her lips were three times their normal size. Yes, Chanel. That would be normal these days. True, true. <laughs> Very good. Topical humour, well done. Uh, one member of that um, departed woman's family said, and that would be my last memory of my mother. Imagine that, seeing your loved one destroyed that way. Tortured. Ray Jr., however, had an explanation as to why the lady looked like that. He said the dead woman had an allergic reaction to the embalming fluid. Oh, now, no. I'm not a doctor. But I think once you're dead, you don't have a reaction to anything. Nothing. Oh, I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. No, nothing's still working. Yeah, true. You know how there's, you know, yeah. Sure. You can't bleed or no. you can't react to something. No. Yeah. There were several lawsuits in the 1990s and the early 2000s. In one particular case, a dead man's family chose a casket and they gave the funeral home clothes to bury him in. And when they turned up for the service, the casket and the clothes were right. But the dead body was wrong. No. It was another man's corpse. Ray Jr. apologised. He found the right body and they buried that. There was another case uh, which accused Cantrell of holding a funeral service. This sounds like nothing, but it would be awful. He held the funeral service at noon instead of 1pm. So nobody had got there. Nobody had arrived. So the funeral service was done by the time everyone's turned up to bury Nana. Uh, The funeral regulators found that the Cantrell Funeral Home had been employing unlicensed embalmers and not embalming bodies in a timely fashion 
and accused them of incompetence and gross negligence. Now, there's another case in 2000 where inspectors found a baby's body stored at the home. They came back, it was improperly stored, so they must have said, sort that out, but they came back a year later to check. The baby's body was still there, but by then the baby had been dead for about four years. The family still owed $600 for the funeral, and you would think they obviously didn't have the money to to make the proper payment so the baby could be buried. Yes? <laughs> don't reach for it and then not do it because then I just sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. Ding. Yes? I was going to ask a question and then you answered it. So then I went to reach for it, but then I took it back. Oh, okay. Because I was going to... Do you see what you've done to us, Terry? Do you see what you've done? We're wrecked. Because I was going to ask why the baby's body had been there for so long and then you said yeah. they didn't have enough money to pay they for it. They didn't have enough money. You would think, though, if you ran that funeral home, it's a baby. Have Just some do compassion. It. Just do it. Do it as a charity case. Just do it. As an act of goodwill, but they didn't. And I'm not... I don't know what actually ended up happening with that particular baby you're getting a little bit annoying Shana. yes i recently rang a doctor on behalf of someone yeah um that i didn't know that i thought needed some help yes in a professional capacity right okay yes yeah. and i said i don't know this person but i think that they, they could really use your help right. i've done yep. stories on them can you help them yes immediately said yes Wow, yeah, because yeah. people do. That's lovely. Yeah. And good on you for doing yeah. that. I love it. Because he said, do I do things. enough paid work. Absolutely. Oh, let me know what I can do. And You're I was good. like, there are good people in the world. This is fantastic. You're a good person. I try. I love it when you do things like that. Just I love it when you tell me about it because I float on a little cloud of <sighs> Chanel air. I like to do random shit and help people. Okay. In February 2007, a brawl erupted in. It's going to get worse, by the way. A brawl erupted inside the funeral home during a service for a suspected gang member who'd been killed in a drive-by shooting. Cantrell Senior was known to carry a gun for protection. So in 2016, Cantrell Senior died at the age of 96. So his oldest daughter, Crystal, she had already died, which left Ray Jr. to run the business. He hasn't been doing a good job so far. He'd been out of the business for a while. He'd been working at Target and, and as a teacher, but he came back into the funeral home business after his dad died and the trouble started again. Late 2017 and early 2018, inspectors received a complaint and they visited the funeral home and they found, and I'll quote them, deplorable, deplorable unsanitary conditions. There was a dirty, stained embalming room, decomposing bodies covered in mould, embalmed bodies in an unrefrigerated garage. They found... 269 containers of cremated remains in the basement. There were nearly two dozen uh, properties on the bodies on the property. I'm sorry. One of the bodies was a woman named Marsha Jordan. Her pa- family had paid $7,300 for a funeral, but instead of burying the body, Cantrell had left it in the garage. About a month after she was eventually buried, Uh, or supposed to be. No, so there was a funeral held, but then they found her body. So they'd obviously done a funeral but didn't bury her. She was still in the garage. So the inspectors had had enough by now. They shut down the Cantrell Funeral Home on August the... Is this just to tell me to wrap it up? What? No, three dings is wrap it up. Oh, okay. Um, Why weren't they burying bodies? Because he just was incompetent. I don't think just he couldn't ever. get his shit together. Because no. there's no reason to keep a body. 
I just think it all it. got beyond him. Okay. Whether he was still taking money that was being given to him and using it for other things other than doing his job. But I just think he just didn't have the wherewithal to run a funeral home. Right. Dad's dead. His older sister's dead. Um, Mum's moved to another state. Right. He's pretty much on his own. Got you. Um, let me see. 2018, a search was carried out on the funeral home. The power was off. The building was knee-deep with rubbish. It smelled of embalming chemicals. Upstairs, they found a stillborn baby's body and the cremated remains of another on a desk. Six weeks later, they had an anonymous letter. It was typed up. It was unsigned and it was quite ungrammatical and it gave clear directions. It said, go through the sliding doors into the hallway, turn right, and you'll find a storage area. If you look above the door, there's a crawl space. So on October the 12th, 2018, they returned to the home. They followed those directions and they found stuffed into the ceiling, hidden by insulation, the badly decomposed bodies of 11 babies in an infant-sized casket and cardboard box. They conducted another investigation. They found numerous acts of fraud, deceit, dishonesty, incompetence and gross negligence at the home. Former employees said they knew nothing about all these remains that had been hidden. So what came after that was a load of lawsuits. The parents of a stillborn baby boy, in, uh, he had died in 2014, they claimed that their son's remains were stored for months, unrefrigerated in a Tupperware container at the home. The mother of another child who was stillborn in 2011, what? she says she was told by the Detroit police that her son's remains may have been among those that they found, but she had been told earlier by the hospital where she had the stillborn baby that the remains of her child had been cremated. And, and the parents of a third baby that was stillborn in 2009, they say that they paid Cantrell for a funeral um, and that Michigan State Police asked the mother for a DNA sample to compare with the fetal remains that they'd found. So it's just a great big mess. Seven of the 11 remains that were found hidden in the funeral home last October have been identified and their dates of death precede Ray Jr. running the home. So it sounds like Ray Sr., who was 96 when he died, he lost all way with all to operate the place. Um, I think there is a criminal investigation uh, underway, but some of the remains go back as far back as 1998. And this state is trying to revoke the mortuary science licenses, which is basically the license that the Cantrell Funeral Home has to operate. Annetta Cantrell, who was the first wife of Ray Senior, she runs a funeral home called QA Cantrell Funeral Services in a completely different city in East Point, and it's absolutely separate. And she said, though, that the bad publicity has killed her business there. And there's been a whole bunch of scrutiny of Michigan's funeral industry since this horrible discovery at Cantrell. Um, another one is being investigated, the Perry Funeral Home. They found 63 fetuses there. Yeah. So the building that housed the Cantrell Funeral Home has been taken over by another person, a new owner, and it's been renovated into a community centre. Isn't that awful? It obviously just became, it all got on top of him, out of control, and he just walked away. And I suspect that Ray Jr. wrote that typed letter that said, you'll find some more bodies up in the roof. That is the sad story of the Cantrell Funeral Home. Go. Chanel. Don't do it. No, it's okay. annoying. 
I need to credit the BBC and CBS and I'm talking about a story that happened in Chicago, Illinois in May this year. Chicago. What? I've done it before. I'm just doing a little accent oh, for you. okay. Do Chicago, it again. on the mean streets of Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Yeah, mm. we're gangsters. Uh, where a man was found naked and unconscious lying under a car with facial injuries. Mm. Facial Injuries. From a car. Naked. Just remember facial injuries. Got it. Okay. Sorry, should I? Mm. A witness at the scene told police the man under the car was Elijah Bennett. They ran the name through their system and they didn't find an Elijah, but they found an Alfonso. They took the body uh, of this man who is still alive uh, to the Mercy Hospital, where Chicago police identified him by using mugshots. So they pull out the mugshot of Alfonso Bennett mm. and they uh, identify him. They, of course, at that point contact Mr. Bennett's family. If it's a question, do I have to – is that an interruption? Kirst? Kirsten's nodding. Yep. No more bell. She's sick of the bell. Okay. You prefer – yep. Yep, get rid of it. Just uh, Just interrupt. Okay, Stop just Terry. Okay, so Terry, switch off now. Mm. Right. Everyone else stay. Everyone else stay. So if if why are they using mugshots of a person with facial injuries when there's a whole naked body there to use to it? Mm. Okay. Uh, at this point, they contact Mr. Bennett's family who come to the hospital and see him, his sisters. They sit with him and after discussions with the doctors, the family decided to turn off his life support. In the days after this, and they're in the process of planning his funeral, they're at a barbecue when in walked in. No. Alfonso Bennett. Very much alive, very much not dead. What? Hmm. So who's the body under the car? I have a little bit of audio here. This is Alfonso Bennett. I'm looking at them like, wow, I'm ready to like barbecue or something. They're looking at me like I was a ghost. I'm looking at them like I'm barbecue or something. I think that's offensive what you're doing. I'm just mimicking him. Um, So he's alive and they're like, we just turned your life support off. Yeah. Who is that? What what does it mean? They're looking at me like I'm barbecue. Like you're delicious and want to eat you? No, like you're meant to be dead meat. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. So at this point, the cops realise they've got a bit of a problem. So they go and fingerprint the body at the morgue. And they work out that body is the body of Alicia Britman. Now, I actually think it's Elijah Britman. It's spelt like Alicia, but it's Elijah. Okay. Elijah Britman. And so the witness at the scene originally said the person under the car was Elijah Bennett. Yes. So the names are very similar. Oh, yes. Yeah, very. So witness said Elijah Bennett. Cops run it. They don't find an Elijah, but they find an Alfonso Bennett. Oh, near enough. Close enough. Then (laughs) Alfonso Bennett, still alive. They fingerprint the body and it's Elijah Brittman. Right. Whose family are contacted and told, No. Another family turned off your loved one's (gasps) life support and unfortunately he has died. No. So why didn't they recognise him? Again, we go back to the start. Facial injuries. Do you know what the injuries actually were? So when he arrived at hospital, the victim was listed as a John Doe because they didn't know who he was. After being told that Mr. Bennett, um, they you know, this is Alfonso Bennett, his siblings 
came to the hospital and they had doubts that it was their brother. They said when they went to visit him, how did you verify that this is my brother? That's what Rosie Brooks, the sister, said. She said, in my heart, I could not recognise him. This is like that story I had with Bryn Rainey and I can't think of the other girl's name, but with the two girls at the accident scene mm. that, that got mixed up. Um, oh. The hospital staff told the sisters they couldn't recognise him because of his facial injuries and suggested they were struggling to come to terms with the situation. Gosh. Yes. Mr Bennett's real whereabouts during that period are unclear, mm. but the actual dead man... Um, Again, he's Elijah Brickman. He was 69 years old. And when his family were called, they said that he'd been missing for some time. Mm. That family had, in fact, been calling around hospitals, doctor surgeries and morgues looking for him. Uh, both families are now suing that hospital. I bet they are. Yes. Uh, and since – so the actual Alfonso Bennett, the unfortunate thing for him is – He's been declared dead. So his social security and his disability payments have been cut off. And his nearly, well, not his, but a nearly $1 million hospital bill has been sent to him. How is the hospital bill that high? What? America. What? Mm. Has been sent to him and his family and they haven't changed any of it over. Well, because the cops didn't do their job properly. Yeah. Huh. The end. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. Bang. But I have another question. Why was he naked? I don't know why he was naked. Oh, okay. I don't know that part. Hmm. And how – so if he was under a car, why was only his face – like if he'd been hit by a car, if he was if he was walking around naked, he would have – Things on his body, not just his note. They haven't got that for me either. Nope. Okay. He was just be- badly beaten, mm. apparently. Mm. And that is the end. Thank you. Now, for our feedback, we're going to put a little call through to a lovely young lady who emailed us, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. You can do it too if you've seen a dead body. And her name is Tamara. Let's give her a call. Is that to you, Tamara? Tamara. Hello, little mouse called Tamara. <laughs> In your teeny tiny little voice. So we had a message from you uh, yep. which said you've seen lots of dead bodies from being a trauma nurse. Yeah. Um, Specialised in trauma and organ donation. So you would have seen a lot of dead bodies doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Actually, you said in your email that it was a fa- your fair share of dead bodies. I'm just wondering what a fair share of dead bodies is. 100. Um, probably at least. Yeah. You, how long were you a trauma nurse for? Well, like eight, nine years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You've seen some could shit. You, could you put a number on it? How many? I think probably at least like eight to nine. <gasps> yeah, because there'd be days when you'd see multiple and then maybe not go, not see any for a couple of days and then bang. Oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's some people that just come in and you're like, yeah, they're not, they're not great. Yeah. They're not, and you know yeah. straight away. Yeah, pretty much. People are we starting the interview like, right now? Well, we sort of are, yeah, because oh. you, <laughs> this is going off in a different direction to, to what we were heading for, but do you do you get a sense with people, if they're still alive, Can you do you sense whether they're going to make it or not? Yeah, so like initially when I first started, no, I just was like, oh, good Lord. 
they look terrible. And then the more experienced I got, I, you can, you, like, after a while, you just can kind of look at people. Um, even now where I work, it's not a trauma hospital, but... Um, you get a you gut have, feeling. Yeah, you just see, there's just something about them, like, you just look at them and you're like, yeah, they look, they look ill, mm. um, which a lot of people get confused when I say, oh, they're very sick. And people think, oh, they've got the flu. And it's like, no, they're going to die. Oh. Yeah. So, you're, you're like um, those cats that go into old people homes. Yeah. Like, I'm like a cat. Mm. That's awesome. I would love to be a cat. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tamara, tell us how you got into that field and I guess what your first experience was with a, death, with a dead body. So I actually wanted to be a forensic scientist. Okay. And because my mum inspected a lot of um, workplace accidents, Mm-hmm. and a lot of fatalities, and I would sneak... Like, I always had an interest in true crime and stuff from quite young, and I would sneak peeks at her fatality photos. And I, then, now, hang on. Yeah. I want to know exactly how that happened. So did she literally have, like, a, a manila folder each night with stuff in? Not, so um, I would often go to my mum's work in school holidays because she was a single parent, and so she didn't have care for me, like, all the time. So she'd be like, okay, you're coming into work today. Bring some, like, colouring in books or whatever. <laughs> oh and, um, you know, like, some videos or something to watch. And I'd just get bored after a while. And, yeah, and I'd just be like, oh, what's this? And, yeah, and have a look. And, like, my mum's always kind of, from a certain age, would talk to me about some of her cases and that. She doesn't do it anymore. But, yeah, and then got to a point where it was like, so you want to do forensics, so you need to be able to look at dead people. I'm like, Mum, I've been looking at these pictures for years. And she's like, oh, good Lord. Yeah. So where, where were you seeing them? Did you, was it on computers? Did you have to open up files and stuff, or were they physical no, they files? they were like or... hard photos. Like, you know oh. how you'd see on um, crime movies and shows, they'll like show the bad person, like, you did this, check out this person. They're photos like that, except my mum wouldn't say that. She'd be yeah. like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. And so when you became a trauma nurse, I guess what was the first moment for you where, uh, in light of another way of saying it, death really kind of smacked you in the face? Oh, my God, there's been so many, unfortunately, mm. which is not a nice thing to say. But um, the first one was probably a, quite a bad car accident and there was a few fatalities involved. And when they got to the hospital, so there were people who died at the scene and then the ones that got to the hospital were in pretty bad shape. Right. And you, when we opened them up to them, we did a laparotomy, just blood poured out of them. And I was like, Ooh. oh, good God. And that was probably my first yeah. bad trauma. Yeah. Tamara, sorry, just going back for a second to the um, your mum's work. Yeah. Like I remember in primary school getting a look at a crime book and you just never forget those photos that you see, of a, yeah. even if it's in black and white. Was there anything that you saw that has stayed in your mind? Yes, definitely. Um, so like I remember some of them, I was like, like when I was kind of probably too young to be looking at them, so like 10 or so, I was pretty naughty. <laughs> um, I remember I was worried they were going to come out of the picture like, I don't know why, but I thought oh. that the people were going to come out of the picture. No. Um, yeah, so my mum was pretty cross with me when she found out. Yeah. But um, the, the one that really stuck with me was a pretty awful one. It was sad. Um, there, was, there were two men that got hit by a train, and I remember looking at them. And, like, we're talking 20 years ago yeah, or right. so. So it was before, like, people, like, you know, I think if my mum knew I was looking at them, she would have probably tried to keep them away from me a bit harder. But, mm. they were, yeah, they got hit by a train. And one man just looked like he was sleeping. 
Like you couldn't tell yeah, yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, like peaceful. And, yeah, really peaceful. And like I've seen lots of people who are dead who who look really peaceful. Most of them do, to be honest. But there's some of them. It's just there's so much going on and there's so much trauma to different areas. They don't look peaceful. It's a bit hard to look peaceful. Mm. But um, and then the other man, I just remember he was completely eviscerated. And that was the first time I'd seen, like, I've, I live on a farm, so I've seen lots of animals gutted. Yeah. Um, but it was the first time I'd seen, like, human intestines. And I was like, what the oh. hell? So, yeah. And then the strangest thing was next to them was a jar of coffee that was completely whole. So they'd been hit by a train oh. in the car. Oh. And so loads of things were, like, ruined. And these two men had died. And then there was this jar of coffee. Completely Isn't, whole. Isn't that extraordinary how the, yeah. the details yeah. of it have stuck with you? Yeah, it's weird, some of the things I remember of it, yeah. Can I ask, cause, and it's just something I've mentioned on our podcast before, do you find dealing with the families and the relatives of those who would turn up to hospital a lot harder than the dead bodies itself, themselves? Yeah, so of course I've worked in, I work in theatres. I don't tend, I deal with families more now with where I work than I ever have before, mm-hmm. and I find it quite confronting sometimes. Um I found the hardest would be if I'd just finished with doing an organ retrieval and I would walk out and so the families often would wait um, to, say, view the body down in the morgue um, and they'd be sitting outside the theatres and I would be going home and I would see them Mm. sitting there. You know quite clearly that's who they're with Mm. Um, and and that was sometimes quite hard and, yeah. um, But, yeah, the family, like... um, Dead people are a lot easier to deal with than alive people. Yeah, I can imagine. And we hear yeah. that a lot, yeah. Did you find I, doing that organ retrieval, I don't want to say the word therapeutic, but did you find that you were giving some purpose to death by doing it that? It is so yeah. fulfilling. Yeah. I, we do it very sparingly at the hospital I work at now, mm-hmm. but I find, I think the reason I got into it, so I, I did work on the ward for a little while and I enjoyed having that follow-up with patients and you, and you lose that a lot when you're in theatres. Hmm. So I think the reason I liked it is you'd find out a bit about wh- where the organs went and who they helped and like, all that kind of thing. And you knew and you knew that out of something so horrific was something that was going to be really amazing and great. Yeah. And that's the bit that I think is so awesome is the good that comes out of something that's so sad. What are our donation rates like here in Australia? Are they Do people um, opt in enough for it or...? So it's an opt-out system more now. It used to be an opt-in. So um, I, I can't remember if it, was on a, if it was your podcast or another one that I was listening to. And they actually said that they were referring to next of kin and they didn't realise that the next of kin is the partner over the, over the parent. Mm. So that's where a lot of the most issues come in. It, it is getting better in Australia, but it's still not great. The biggest hindrance to our country's organ donation rate is the fact that we don't really have enough ICU beds to fulfil the amount of donors or recipients that we have in Australia. Um, But it's a bit hard to say. I haven't done organ donation stuff full on as much as I did before for about three years now. Um, So I don't know what the rates are, but they are getting better, which is is great. Um, And and there was a time there, which is kind of strange. Um, So we have an eye bank, which sounds gross. Um, so when people donate their corneas, and my favourite thing about donating corneas, it's not done in a theatre, it's done in the morgue, um, along with long bones. Oh. And, yep, long bones and tendons and corneas are taken in the morgue, 
So you can actually be dead for up to 24 hours before they can be taken, whereas um, solid organs, they have to, they time limits. And um, with long bones, tendons and eyes, so you've got 24 hours, they're taken out in the morgue, and the eye bank actually had too many <gasps> eyes, so they had to put a stop and say, no, we don't need any more corneas, we've got, we've got surplus to need. Oh, that makes so, me feel good because I'm an organ donor, but I won't donate my won't corneas. I won't give them. Yeah, I, and that's really common. Oh, I just it's can't. Quite common. I yeah. just feel so weird and un- very unfortunately... Uh, Nicholas, his my fiance, who everyone refers to as the dreaded wedding, um, <laughs> and uh, his father passed away in a workplace accident. And we had to make the decision of if, if we were going to donate his organs or not, and we did. And exactly what you said before, it gave us some purpose that he didn't die without reason yeah. but at the same time I was like telling everyone I was like we shouldn't donate his eyes we shouldn't we shouldn't do that and I was really trying to stop everyone doing yeah. it and I don't think we did it in the end mm. yes um, and, and and that's completely understandable to be honest like uh, the organ donation um council I can't remember what they're called um they are grateful for anything mm. really um you know it is such a gift and you're awesome for having your family is awesome for having agreed oh. to do that honestly do you know what it, it just felt right and I, I remember like the organ donation team was so incredible they came and they sat with us and said you know is this something you kind of want to consider and we all looked at each other and just knew that it was something we should do and they were so fabulous with us. They were so caring. They let us spend as much time as we wanted with him before they kind of took him away and oh, I can tell a freaky story off the back of this and um, they took him and they, they did it all and then we got a letter saying, you know, this organ went to this person and they'd been waiting for this long and et cetera and that was really fulfilling mm. and then uh, we were all a little bit after we were like, oh, did we do the right thing and then we found an a newspaper article amongst all this paperwork that he had where he had been quoted. He'd been asked like a Vox Pop situation about organ donation. Yeah. And oh, he wow. Yeah, and he had said that you should definitely donate your organs. Oh. Yeah. Oh, see, it was like is, it was amazing. Isn't that amazing? That is awesome. Yeah. But was, that that your like question after he died is why it's so important for people to talk about it. Yes. Um, like my family, like I have, everyone in my family knows I'm very pro, obviously. Yes. Um, and so is my mum, my husband, like we're all very pro yeah. donation. But I have a family member, like quite intelligent, and she dead set believes that. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, that they deliberately kill yes, patients. Yes, that's organs. not true. No, this, very much not true. This is Australia. Um, yeah, and it's like I said, did you read the book Coma? Is that why you think this? Like I've read that book, great book. Yeah. But it's like it's not like that. They're not hooking people up just to, you know. No, uh, we're totally leaving this in the podcast. We're leaving that is a massive <laughs> misconception about organ donation. That is not a thing. And for those thinking about organ donation, I will even plead that you should do it. The organ donation teams are amazing and mm. it was probably yeah. the best thing that came out of an awful situation for us. Mm. Oh, and harvest so good to hear. Harvest me body away, but don't take me eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I want your skin. You've got really good skin. Take it. You can do that. Yeah, can Skin. Yeah, you can. Well, that would be good. Yeah, instead mm. of having to like graft it from other areas. Tamara, um, I'm glad that you've got a cool mum who she probably knew that you were peeking at things you shouldn't be. But look where it led you to. Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> she even dragged me to the forensic policeman. Um, <laughs> because like, I was so into it. And on a side note, do you, do you know the Catherine Knight case from up this way, up Newcastle yes, way? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so he was my mum's forensic scientist friend, but he also did her cases. 
And one day she's like, okay, look, I've got to go into work quickly. And her case had happened and all the evidence was in there and it literally took up the entire oh like, lab. It was phenomenal. Oh and he was God. so cool. He even showed me, like, before she happened, a shirt that someone had been stabbed with. Oh. And he's like, you tell me where the knife, like, <gasps> entry was at. And I was like, oh, is it there? And he's like, yeah, you're going to be a great forensic officer. Yeah, there and, like, and there and there. So, so yeah. cool. Well, thank you yeah, so much right. for sharing the work that you do and for doing the work that you do. We are so appreciative and thank you for coming on our podcast. Great to talk no to problem. you, Tamara. Thanks for making such an awesome podcast. Oh, oh aren't you? Too kind. You. Nice things, nice, nice things. things. Nice things. So many nice things. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Tamara. No problem. See you, Bye. mate. Bye. Bye. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.